Hello and welcome to the podcast, a positive conversation about dogs and the humans who love them. Welcome to the show, Karen. It is so great to see you here on our Zoom call today and to uh, be launching into a topic that is new for the podcast. I'm giddy about it. I think you are too. Hi, Jean. Yeah, it's great to see you. And I'm excited about today's topic and today's guest because it's something that I've been looking at doing with Poppy. And I have a confession to make, Jean. I didn't know that humans did this. I thought it was just for dogs. This is so provocative. If people haven't, well, I suppose they've looked at the title of the episode by now. (laughs) So what we're talking about is parkour for dogs. And we have the co-founder of the International Dog Parkour Association with us today, Abigail Curtis, who's coming from beautiful Columbus, Ohio. I'm a big Columbus, Ohio fan, Abigail. (laughs) So welcome. Thank you. Welcome, Abigail. Yeah, we love we love our capital cities, don't we, Karen? We're all actually all of us are in capital cities right now. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, Alexandria technically, but you're close enough to DC, Karen. And I'm in the Boston capital of Massachusetts. That's could fun. have been a capital. Abigail, team. thank you. Thank you, Abigail, so, for being here. This is we're pumped for this conversation. I know we are. Yeah. So, Abigail, I'm not kidding. I until I started um, reading about parkour for dogs. I didn't know that it actually originated as something for humans. I really thought that this was just a dog thing. And Jean and I both have Australian shepherds. And I have an Australian shepherd named Poppy, who is a lifelong learner. She's also super active. So I am always looking for things that I can do for Poppy, which is why I'm so intrigued by parkour. But can you just tell us a little bit about what it is and how your um, International Association for Dogs started? Yeah, absolutely. So parkour, like you were saying, actually came from humans. So Karen and I were both human parkour practitioners before. So Karen's my co-founder. We started in human parkour. Human parkour has been around uh, about since the 1980s. And we were both really lucky that the place we started training human parkour was really into sort of the the roots of traditional parkour uh, for humans. So we got to train with the French and other European founders of human parkour. Uh, so they'd come over for events and we would get to talk to them and really understand what the sport meant to them philosophically. But, Abigail, what? Okay, I guess I should oh, back yeah, up. Sorry. What, is, I, what is human parkour? So parkour comes from the French term that sort of means like a route or a path is sort of the term where it comes from. And what it really is, is working to move through your environment in sort of a fast, flowy, efficient way, um, regardless of the obstacles that are that are in your path. So you're learning to jump on, go under, around, over, through all sorts of different obstacles that are already found naturally in your environment. So it can be a wooded, more natural area or in a lot of cases, it's a more urban environment. So you're going on benches and walls and posts and all sorts of things like that, that we just find naturally in the environment. And then you use your movement or in dog parkour instance, the dog's movement to interact with that environment. So that's parkour. And so you and Karen trained in human parkour. Yes. And you were going over logs and benches and utilizing street lamps. And and are you running when you're doing this or walking or what's your pace? So 
it doesn't, it depends on the day, right? So the thing I love about parkour, both for humans and dogs, is that it's so open to whatever you are interested in doing and however you are interested in exploring your environment. The Yamakaze, who are the founders of human parkour, were always talking about how it's a journey, right? You're just exploring your movement. So if I have a day where I'm like, I'm feeling kind of tired, I want to get out and I want to do something, um, I might be going at a slower pace. So I might be just I'm going to balance on this railing or I'm going to explore some slower paced movements, you know, some rolls and some stretches and stuff like that. But if I get out and I'm really inspired and I really want to move, I might, you know, maybe I'm training with other people. We might do some speed drills. Like we're trying to get from point A to point B faster every single time or in a different way every single time. And we are pushing ourselves. And so the thing that I really, we, that Karen and I both really like about human parkour is that it does bring a sort of self-reflection element in. It's not competitive, like person to person. It's the thing we really love about it. Um, That's not competitive person to person, but you are trying to push yourself, right? So you're trying to say, hey, can I do this movement better? Or can I do a bigger jump? Or can I do these things? I'm not competitive with the person next to me. It's a very mental kind of sport. Um, We both really loved that aspect of it, that it was kind of a sort of mental push. You're going out and you're moving through the environment and I don't have the ability to take this wall that I'm jumping from and this other wall that I'm jumping from and scoot them two feet closer. I have to make that judgment myself of, can I do this movement and then commit to it and do that movement? Um, And so that mental process is also a really important part of parkour as well that I really love. And I want to tell our audience too. I mean, I've, I've watched a fair amount of parkour on YouTube um, in, in days gone by um, because I was married to a guy who was really into cool stuff on YouTube. (laughs) 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 You know, this guy, but yes, I watched a lot of parkour with with my former husband and um, it's humans or dogs of humans. Yeah. Oh really? Um, So you knew it was a human thing. I did. I did. And um, it's incredibly beautiful. Um, I mean, I know a lot of what is on YouTube is, you know, some of the best people in the world, I'm sure the videos that are coming (laughs) up top, Um, but it's very beautiful. And it reminded me of, um, you know, action scenes from movies, right. Where like you're, Mm -hmm. you know, where you're the, the sort of the bad guy and the cop or whatever, or the two people who are at odds with each other are running through a cityscape, jumping from rooftop to rooftop, whatever. I mean, it looks like that, but they're like, you know, just real, real people, not actors doing this for sport. It's it's really fun to watch. I'm not encouraging our listeners to pause this podcast and go watch some. Or go bounce off the hood of a car. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't I know about that's parkour, right? What, what would what would parkour be involving a vehicle? Would it be leaping over it or like gently somersaulting across the hood, probably? And yeah, a single bound. Like yeah, I what I love about parkour, once again, we were talking about how it's adaptable, and this is the same for dogs and humans, so it applies across the board, is that my parkour never looked, no matter how good I am at parkour, I'm never gonna be jumping across buildings and doing all those things like that's that's not my parkour um but when we're training like with the the french founders who are amazing like they're so strong and they can just do amazing like youtube video worthy things obviously and i'd be like oh you guys got stuck with you know poor little us who 
first time we went, we'd only been training for a couple months and they said, oh no, no, we love getting the new people because we love getting to see their journey and how they learn to explore their movements and all of these things. And it, it really, for them is, they don't care where you are in your journey or where you can get in your journey. I'm, I'm, I'm never going to jump across a building. I can be very confident saying that, um, but it doesn't work. <laughs> I'm, sorry about, I'm sorry about any to, less valid. I'm sure happy to hear that, Abigail. I think that's good news. You know, when, when I watched videos of dog parkour, because I already knew about human parkour, and then I watched videos of dog parkour, um, I, and I think you guys refer to it too as urban agility. Is that right? It's referred, yeah. And, it, and I was like, holy crap, this is the most obvious thing in the world. It, for, to anyone who has taken agility classes or competed in, in dog agility, it is the most obvious thing in the world. And Karen, I'm curious, I'm, I'm quite sure this is true with you because you both, we've, we've taken all of our dogs to agility, particularly with Daisy Sue. Daisy to this day, now she's 14 and she's got arthritic hips and all this kind of stuff. But to this day, that dog will jump up on a curb and walk along it as if it's as if it's um, an agility obstacle. She will jump up on on a, you know boulders or you know platforms as if it for, from agility or from the tricks classes we've done. And it's and I have joked in the past, particularly when she was a little younger and a little more adventurous, that she was my parkour dog. Like when we go to the <laughs> lake together, she's the dog that's scrambling along the rocks and going to the end of every dock and then coming back and then swimming. And I mean, I actually feel Karen as much as I enjoyed. Agility with Daisy, that parkour, dog parkour was her true calling. Yeah. And you must probably- see this with Poppy, right? Because you've done agility and the dog knows how to interact with obstacles, do you find you, you're probably kind of doing it on your walk? Am I right? Yeah, we are. And that's, you know, that's one of the reasons why I was so excited for um, this conversation with Abigail to talk about the dog parkour and that urban agility. Um, Abigail, how did you all decide to? transition from humans canines with this kind of seems natural yep so it is so like you were saying karen and i had both done dog agility before and you'll find as you get into parkour and you really start to dig into the nitty-gritty happens to both human and dog practitioners that your eye changes so like your world is completely different no longer is it just like a curb and these things, it's all these opportunities, right? So everything changes. And Karen and I were both living in sort of downtown Columbus at the time. We've since moved, you know, more to the outskirts, but we were living in downtown Columbus. Uh, I was in vet school um, and she was working in a science center. And we both were people that found for a while the city kind of a, a hard place to live. And a lot of dogs also find the city a hard place to live because it just... There's not as many trees. There's a lot of concrete. Um, and parkour really changed that opinion for, I think, both me and my dog that I started parkour with, because now it was all these different opportunities for us. And so that's one of the things I really like about the way it works is your eye completely changes. So for us, we would go out and we were walking our dogs. We both had reactive dogs at the time. So when you walk reactive dogs, you walk in strange places where you're not yep. going to see other very dogs. Well, very well aware of that. <laughs> Yep. But when you go into all these weird places that you might be walking dogs, you also find a lot of like weird architecture and stuff that you might interact with. And so it started with, hey, can you hold my dog? I'm going to go try to see if I can do this movement because this is, you know, a height wall that I think I can actually climb up or something I want to balance on. And then from there, it became, well, I wonder, this is about the height my dog can jump on. And I had a very adventurous little, just little mixed dog um, who would do anything I asked of her, new agility and 
was very confident. And so she started, you know, doing some, some movements as well, sort of alongside me, not typically often the movements I was doing, but similar movements. And we would take pictures and we'd talk about how they were doing parkour, just sort of in a ha-ha way, because we were doing parkour, but our dogs were also doing parkour. And we both had a dog training background. We ran a camp for teenagers and their dogs for about 10 years, um, where teenagers would come and they'd spend four days with us learning about positive reinforcement training, trying all the different dog sports. Um, so they were trying agility and fly ball and obedience, and we had fun games for them to play. So we were dog training. We weren't dog trainers, right? I was in vet school and she was working in science center. We weren't dog trainers per se, but we were good at dog training and we liked teaching. So a local dog trainer that we knew said, hey, could you offer a class in parkour. I think some of the dogs would really like it. And you guys have been talking a lot about it and you do a lot of human parkour. And so we did, we met at a local park and the dogs absolutely loved it. The people absolutely loved it. And interestingly, they were like, oh, you guys have to do something with this. You need to like set up a dog scouts badge. It was when dog scouts was really big. Um, you need to like get this going. And Karen and I both like immediately hit the brakes and like, oh, we absolutely cannot do that because from our training from the Yamakaze, parkour is non-competitive. It's not structured, right? It's just about your journey and you're exploring and it's very loosey-goosey and very free-flowing and they didn't want to put any structure to it at all, right? Because that might impact people's journey and all of this and it might make it competitive. So we both hit the brakes. We're like, absolutely not. We can't do that. This is just classes. We're just teaching you about parkour. So that's where we had sort of settled for a little bit. We were teaching classes, but then we had a discussion with someone by the name of Julie Angel. She has great videos. Um, she's wonderful. She has a, we call it a PhD in parkour. Really, it's a PhD in film because she documented parkour's journey and all sorts of different parkour practitioners, mostly through the medium of film. That's what she got her PhD in. But we had a really good conversation with her about the development of parkour and how the Yamakaze really lost control of their sport through their inability and unwillingness to tack it down in any way. So you've seen like Red Bull Art of Motion or any of those American Ninja Warrior. Those are competitive parkour, right? And so they lost control of their sport by being unwilling to tack it down at all. And Karen and I both were discussing how that is not what we wanted for dog parkour at all. We wanted it really to stay true to that that philosophy of going on a journey and exploring your movement. And it doesn't matter where you end up or if you're the best at it, it doesn't make it any less valuable or any less important. So that's where International Dog Parkour Association came from. It's why a lot of our stuff seems a little different than some dog sports, because we really wanted to find a way to help people and put some structure to their journey and let them learn how to be safe and structured about the progress they make while still being true to that that philosophy that we found really, really important to parkour, non-competitive, like you're very competitive within yourself, but not between teams or individuals. So that's how International Dog Parkour Association came from, is us trying to make sure that, that parkour grew in the right way, that we could start to teach more people, broaden our reach while still maintaining that philosophy we found really important. That is so cool. Did you know that parkour was one of the categories on the AKC Fit Dog I have just uh, learned that recently. Title? <laughs> so in all, in all fairness to me, because... I did not have a former husband that watched parkour videos. <laughs> My only exposure to parkour has been this AKC Fit Dog title 
and your Facebook page, Abigail. So <laughs> that's sort of been my universe of exposure on parkour. So that's really good to hear from my side, because for a long time, we were trying some of the hard part is it's this weird word, right? Parkour is a weird word. People don't know what it is. They don't know where it came from. And for us, it was just natural because we came from the human parkour world. So that it's really good to hear for me that it is starting people are starting to who didn't come from a human parkour, they don't know what human parkour is that they are starting to figure out that their dogs can do this cool thing and they didn't have to have all that pre-knowledge to understand what it is first. So that's actually really good to hear. Well, I'm glad that makes you happy. So how does somebody get involved in this? How, I mean, cause any dog can do it, right? I mean, they don't have to be leaping over huge logs and I mean, Jean and I both have dogs that haven't met a ledge they didn't like. I mean, they'll jump <laughs> up and walk the ledge and jump between boulders and stuff. They just like to do it. But how does somebody get their dog involved in this? And there, you can submit videos, right? Like you can title in this, can't you? Yep, absolutely. So my best recommendation for how to get started is just to go out and explore. There's some basic safety guidelines. So we like to have dogs on a harness and leash so that the human half can help out if something might go a little bit awry. Um, so we have them on a harness and leash sort of spotting them just to make sure that everyone stays safe. And I like to make sure dogs are doing age and sort of health appropriate activities. So once again, parkour is super adaptable. The parkour I play with my puppies isn't the same as the parkour I play with my super athletic dogs and isn't the same as I'm playing with. Uh, I had one dog that was doing parkour when she was 16. So my very first dog that I started with parkour with, she was still doing parkour at 16. It didn't look like jumping on tall walls. It looked like, hey, can you balance on this little curb? Can you back up onto things? Lots of low impact stuff, sort of like what I do with my puppies. So I do like to make sure they're doing things that are safe for their bodies and I'm making choices for them to make sure that they're safe, but just going out and exploring. Right? You were talking about balancing on ledges and rocks. We just go out and find stuff and say, hey, can you put your feet on this? Can you go around this? Can you put your feet on and then put more feet on it? Uh, so you just go out and explore. And the more you practice, the it's called the parkour eye. So your eye will adapt and change and you'll see more movement opportunities. So the more you explore, the more stuff you will have to explore. So it's super easy to get started. You just take some treats and a dog with a harness and you just go out and explore what you can find. You can don't even have to leave your house, right? There's all sorts of stuff you can even find in your backyard and your house, anything like that. When you're saying you can put your, your paw, like the two paws on something or the dog can back up. I mean, some of that is Poppy's taken this fundamental of dog sports, right? Where she'll do her her front paws and she'll do on a, on a balance ball, right. Or she'll do her back paws on the balance ball and then um, learn, she will learn to back up or she'll, you know, there's even in fundamentals of um, like the very basic of agility going around your legs and things like that. And some of the things that we do in rally, right. When you do rally, there's some of, some of those stops or, or movements. So is that what it is? It's taken all of these, Things that we do in organized indoor classes, whether it's rally, agility, and taking them outside. Yeah, it's so that's a really good way to get yourself started, right? So I say, think of a movement your dog already knows how to do, and then ask them, hey, can you do this movement with this obstacle that I have found? So that's a really good way to get started is think, so, oh, my dog has put two feet on things or gone around things or gone under something. And this is an obstacle that, yeah, they can go under that. 
And then I asked my dog, Hey, is that something you're comfortable doing? My way of saying that is, uh, is when I'm out with, with my, with my dog is, um, what's that? <laughs> Do you guys say that to your dogs? Like, like a tree stump. Hey Daisy, what's that? And then I like, I'll touch it and see if she wants to get on it. And again, like I'm adjusting this as she, as she gets older, which your description of the, this the sort of age and health and, and safety of the dog. Karen, you know what that reminded me of is in agility classes where the, it's the it's the turn of the dachshunds to, to run the course and the bar gets put down on the floor. Exactly. <laughs> you know, because the way they're shaped. Um, so but yeah, that's my, that's, I love this description, Abigail, of uh, what was it? Parkour eye. Because I, yep. I do think that that's, and that's, I think what you're searching for, Karen, is to transitioning that, what you've learned in the, kind of the training studio space out into the outdoor world and that asking your dog that question, like, like, Hey, Poppy, what's that? You want to get on that? Do you want to go around it? What do you want to do? And like, watch her interact with it and see what you think she's capable of. Like, it's really, it's really fun because goodness knows we spend a lot of time outdoors with our dogs and it's the highlight of our days. And this makes it even more fun, I think, but we, but safety is important. I loved it. And I would refer our listeners uh, to your website to look at the the safety list, I think is excellent and pictures of harnesses, et cetera. It's, that's, I think that's great. And I'm glad you guys are organized for that reason. You know, Abigail, one of, um, you know, one of the missions of Pause Go is to expose dog owners to all of the fun things, fun and healthy things they can do with their dogs. It's not just walking them around the block or, um, you know, Taking them, we, Gene and I used to take our dogs on an urban hike, meaning we'd walk to Old Town Alexandria from our house. We'd do a big, <laughs> a big six mile loop, but do things that are fun, not only for you, but for your dog. And I would imagine like rally or obedience or agility that the parkour is also mentally stimulating for the dog. So you don't have to do it for an hour. You can do these things in um, little bites of time and really, really exercise your dog mentally as well as physically. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, and you can even just start dabbling into your normal walks, right? So we're going along and we just happen to find something. I know a team that they routinely walk on garbage day and they find bulk things that someone is throwing out. And she asks her dog what she can do with just the garbage. And it just makes that walk on that day a little bit more interesting for the dog because there's often something someone's, you know, tossing out a TV stand or something like that, that the dog can interact with in some way. And what I really love is that it got me out exploring more parks and more other places to go in my own city because I go, oh, well, I bet there's some dog parkour stuff for us to do out there. And we'd go and we'd walk around, you know, the library and that kind of thing. And we'd find all these new things where a place where I wouldn't have normally gone and taken my dog on a walk now became a fun, exciting place to explore with them. Something I really enjoyed, Karen, when I, when you and I were neighbors was that uh, the playground, you know, we used to take our dogs to that field up by that school on the hill. And that there's a, um, there's a playground there too, with all kinds of stuff for kids to climb on. You know what I'm talking about? I know exactly, but I'm not going to say, cause I don't want to get us busted for precisely. <laughs> being on I'm the, not, I'm not going to say the fancy schmancy schools playground. 
I'm not going to say, but, um, but I have some great, but I used to love taking Daisy and Savannah when no, when, you know, if children were around, that's not an option. Um, but with no children and no one approaching, I really enjoyed having them get up on and perch on things and climb around the, the playground equipment and getting them, you know, to stay. And, um, I thought that was, I thought that was super fun. What are the, yep. what are the rules around that? Abigail, is it okay that I did that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Playgrounds were definitely designed for parkour because that's what we ask our kids to do, right? go around and climb on stuff and explore their movement. The only thing we say is, like you said, if there's kids on it, they were built for them first. So if there's any children around or wanting to come up, always you know defer to them and say, yeah, you can absolutely have it. We don't even know if those people are worried about dogs and just our presence there is making it an unwelcome feeling space for them. And because parkour is so adaptable, there's always another place to go, right? So I play on the playground. It's really nice. It's very dense. There's all sorts of, I call them easy pickings, right? There's lots of stuff and it's really easy to find stuff, but it doesn't mean just because, you know, kids arrived and you had to move off that you can't find some other stuff to do somewhere else. Um, but yeah, absolutely. 100%. And really to jumpstart that parkour eye because it was designed for it. So it's a little bit easier sometimes for us as people to see the stuff to interact with. Savannah's default position in life was air, airborne, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. More careful with Savannah in agility, she would jump off the top of the A-frame. Um, so she, <laughs> that Daisy would be a disqualifier, Gene. I don't I know it. Don't I know, I know all it. Does about Poppy that. have curiosity on, on walks? Does Poppy have curiosity about objects and um, trees and stumps and stuff like that? Yeah, she does. She's got more of a curiosity about squirrels but well abigail do you think do you think dogs develop parkour eye as well or is that really a human term so i definitely think they do and i think that what they also develop is a a confidence in their movement to know that they can so like daisy very body aware very confident in what her abilities are and what they are and i think that's another thing that parkour helps develop in dogs is they start to understand what their bodies are capable of and it's that was my next question actually is it chicken chicken or egg like is it like oh i have a confident dog i should try parkour or my dog could use confidence i should try this does it which way both that's my favorite so we teach online parkour classes and i always talk about it as a balance of confidence and thoughtfulness so you have this big spectrum like your dogs that are really really sort of cautious and thoughtful about everything. And then you have the dogs that are actually a little bit reckless, right? They're super overconfident. They're certain that they're just going to jump and figure out later if it was something a good idea or not. And those dogs can actually be somewhat, somewhat of a danger to themselves in parkour. And our dogs that are lacking a little bit of confidence, parkour can give them confidence because they can start to interact with new stuff. But also our, our more reckless dogs, we're working towards bringing everyone to a really nice balance of they are making a very thoughtful choice. So I talked a long time, uh, way back earlier about how you can't move your obstacles to make them closer together. And you have to make sort of a decision in your mind whether you can do something or not. And I think the dogs go through a very similar thing. And so it is really great for my dogs that are lacking in confidence because they start to get some confidence in their decision-making skills through lots and lots of good choices and getting to interact with all sorts of different obstacles. But also my dogs that are a little bit reckless. I have a Border Collie Jack Russell mix as one of my dogs. He's six years old. And uh, where where to begin with that combination (laughs) of traits? Where to begin as both the good and the, oh my God. Oh my goodness. So he can be a little bit reckless. Terrier plus herder. I need need a minute. I know. Terrier plus herder. I don't know. And I got him on purpose. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, go on. 
<laughs> so he can be a little reckless, but parkour has really helped him make thoughtful decisions about his movements. So you can see him when he's, you know, balancing on that that ledge, as you guys talked about, or he's walking along a a tree, even just free running in the woods. We're not even doing parkour. I noticed that he goes, oh, well, you know, this is probably actually too high for me to safely jump down. And you see him make like the actual thought and careful movement of I'm going to turn myself around and I'm going to walk back down as opposed to just sort of jumping off and hoping for the best. So parkour is great for both ends of that spectrum of helping them learn to be more thoughtful in their movements and helping them learn how to be more confident in their body's abilities as well. That's what I love because you can just work towards whatever side is your dog's weaker side. You just sort of keep chipping away at it as you're practicing and it will magically all come together and wonderful. I love it. Abigail, if someone wants to get started in this, we will include a link to your website and also to your Facebook page where you have a lot of demonstrations and um, illustrations of parkour. But is there a checklist or or a list of things that people could consider doing with their dogs that would fit into parkour? Yeah. So one, I would say check out the safety stuff first, because that'll get you yep, sort of safety set first. on the on the good thing. But if you check out, we have our training and our novice level titles, and you don't even have to do the titles, but there are checklists that you can sort of download that have different movements and ideas. And those would be good places to start. Training level is only got like eight to 10 different things on it, but it's a really good sort of checklist of different movements. And so does a novice title. It's got a couple couple more. I think it goes up to like 13 different things. But also the checklist is really nice. Really great thing to sort of print out and carry with you. And even if you aren't working on the title, it's a good sort of framework for making sure that you're exploring all the movement potential that you might be able to do. Well, listen, I love a title and I love to work towards something with Poppy. So Explain this. Thank title God thing you guys made me. parkour competitive. <laughs> right? In the history of the story, like you were right on the edge, right? Of, oh man. And Karen, we wouldn't care. We wouldn't even be doing this show. Right. If it, I'm kidding, <laughs> kidding, not kidding. But you're like, Poppy can get a title. Poppy yes. can get a title. So, yep. how, okay. Let's cut to the chase, Abigail. How does Poppy get a title? What do I need to do? Yeah. So great question. We love a title. I, so many people are like that. And a ribbon. Um, I get it. Don't forget ribbon. I get it. And a ribbon. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's why I ran marathons. I only ran <laughs> marathons for the bling. Yeah. They're great motivation. And that's, and that's right. something we knew when we were developing International Dog Park Association. Like we we knew that titles were, were motivating to people. So they I are online it. submissions. Yep. Online okay. submissions. So if your dog is under 18 months old, only thing you can work on is the training level title. Okay. Um, that's just because we want growth plates and everything. Yep. Dogs physically, mentally mature. Um, sort of the same rule one's... of thumb is agility. Same rule of thumb is agility. Now, if they are over 18 months old, you, the training level title is optional. You can do it, but you don't have to. Um, but you'd start with the novice level title. Like I said, there's like 13 different things. And you just go out and I, I kind of think of it like a, a video scavenger hunt. So you're okay, going so out. So I have to video these things. It's yep. not it's not um, the honor system that we did it. I have, I have to submit 13 videos of Poppy doing something. Yes. Okay. So you go out and there's different requirements. So there's like a four foot, there's, I think you have to do three different four foot on. So dog getting four feet on and there's different requirements. Like one of them has to be over shoulder height. 
different requirements like that. There are a couple of in-person evaluators, but don't hope that there's going to be one close to you. I think there's only like five of them in the entire world right now. There's a um, woman that teaches it at um, at Holistic Hound Academy in Alexandria. Yeah. And we do have certified instructors, but they okay. are not evaluators. Okay. Gotcha. So there's like a step beyond our instructors and they, those people can be evaluators for training in novice level titles and they can approve you in person, but it's very rare at this point. We're working on okay. growing that program, but right now it's mostly just videos. So you go out and you collect videos. Doesn't have to be done on the same day. You can collect them over time. Doesn't have to be in the same place, anything like that. So you just go and collect them. And when you finally collected all of your little 13 videos, they're just an online form to fill out. And then they do go through a pretty rigorous review process. So it takes us about a month. And I always warn people, it takes us about a month because we watch every single video and make sure it meets all the requirements. And in that checklist that I was talking about, it tells you what all the requirements are. So always tell people, double check. Don't make your judges think really hard. Um, Just like in agility or obedience, we always say, don't make the judges think hard. But it does take us about a month to go through and evaluate them um, and make sure all of your things met the requirements. And if they do, then you earn the title. And that's why it's so rigorous is because we don't have a multiple type, multiple submissions. It's that one submission is either you're qualifying or not qualifying. And that gets you your title or not for your novice level. And then there are sort of an intermediate and a expert level title above that. Expert level title is really hard for those of you who want your, your like big titles. Expert level title is really hard. We've given out, I think like 10 of them in the 10 years that we have oh been doing goodness. parkour. So it is, it is not an easy title. Abigail, yeah. Poppy wants to know if she gets a ribbon. Um, so the only one right now that comes with a ribbon, working on changing it. Um, the only one that right now that comes with a ribbon is our championship title. And before you get really, really sad, you only need your novice title to get your championship title. Remember I was talking about how we're a little bit weird than most dog sports. So most dog sports, you have to get all the way through all these levels and then you can start working on your championship level, right? And agility. Before you can start working on your mock, you have to have all your other titles. But because for us, parkour is a lot about that journey that you're going on with your dog and that's what makes you a champion in parkour. Our championship title, you only have to have your novice title and then you can work on your championship title. That one comes with a nice, big, big ribbon. And that one is all about emphasizing the journey you take with your dog. So you're, it's got, so you have to find unique movements that aren't listed anywhere. You have to talk about your training journey for different behaviors. And it really, really emphasizes the bond you and your dog have created going through this parkour journey together. So that's That's the championship title. Yeah. And I love those ones. They often make me cry when I'm reviewing them um, because they're, they're just so everyone talks about, you know, how parkour has changed their, their view of their dog. We have some people that like, I didn't, I honestly didn't really like my dog because they found dog sports hard and difficult. And I really wanted to be competitive in dog sports with them and going out and seeing them exploring all these movements and gaining all this confidence has really changed my opinion of my dog. And then I'm just like bawling as I'm reviewing these videos. Um, So I love the championship title. You're talking to two women who sobbed on each other's shoulders watching dog agility at the Westminster dog show a few years <laughs> yeah, okay. ago. Yes. It was amazing. <laughs> we were both, we turned to each other, tears streaming down our faces. And we're like, you're crying too. Why is this? So it was one of it the most amazing. Uh, it was so moving. So that's, I think that's beautiful. And speaking of champion title, um, Abigail, I kind of want to say you and, and your colleagues are champions in this space. Like I'm, I really think it's a beautiful thing you're doing for dogs and humans and their bond, which of course is what we like to talk about on this show. Yeah, thank you. 
Abigail, how many teams of owners and dogs do you think are participating in parkour? That is a very good question. So I know we are getting close to like 25 different countries that we've given titles out to. You've got to feel really good that it's listed as part of the AKC Fit Dog uh, requirements, or it's 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 an optional. It's under that unique right. to you and your dog, so it's one of the optional activities that you can do. Yeah, it. I mean, it's great for parkour, right? To get that visibility out there, get people realize that it is an option for you to go out and explore and learn parkour. So, really, really happy that it's getting. What I think is the exposure it deserves, whether it does or not, like, I think it's getting the exposure it deserves. I think parkour is an amazing sport. So we are sitting at just over a thousand novice titles. Congratulations. Um, Yeah, so some of those are uh, people who've done it with multiple dogs, but we're sitting at just over a thousand novice titles. Any dog can do this. It doesn't have to be an agility dog. It doesn't have to be a Jack Russell Border Collie (laughs) mix, right? I mean, any dog can do this and any owner can do it. The owner doesn't have to jump over buildings and roll off car (laughs) hoods to do this. No, they they just have to keep their dogs safe. Yep. And everything, we tried to make it adaptable. So one of the things that we, I, I don't say didn't like, about other dog sports, but that we found was a particular challenge for us when developing parkour is that dogs come in such a wide range of sizes and shapes. So we based most of our parkour measurements on measurements of the dog. So it's shoulder height or body length or um, the width of your foot, something like that, so that it is adaptable to basically any size of dog as well. Everything down from your tiny little chihuahuas to your much, much larger dogs. Um, But it's still a challenge for the small dogs and not so much of a challenge for the big dogs that it's completely, you know, unachievable for them. So we try to adapt it to every size. It's just fascinating. And it sounds like so much fun and huge, huge pause up to you and Karen for even creating this. Thank you. I mean, it's just so much fun chatting with you about this. Thanks. Poppy and I yeah, are going to really, work I want, on a title. I, I was going to say, you guys are going to work on a title. Daisy and I are just <laughs> going to go for a walk after this. And I'm going to, and we're going to look for low, low walls and curbs for her to yep. jump up on. Truly one of my, uh, because of her, her age, uh, one of my favorite things about having done, you know, dog sports with her is that every now and then still, even though she's getting older, we'll be walking along and she, she will unprompted, uh, jump up on, on objects that are fun for her <laughs> or low walls or whatever. And it just delight it just makes my day every time she jumps up on something and walks along an edge I say look at you girl aren't you clever it's so fun thank you so much Abigail for having this conversation with us it really I think it's one of my my favorite uh episodes that we've done because it it, we're really tapping into that joy of uh being outdoors in particular we talk about that on other episodes too being outdoors with your dog engaging in dog sports and deepening that bond and having fun with your having fun Yep. Yeah, we really dogs are sweet fun. Spot in this episode. Dogs are fun. Dogs are fun. They Go are. have fun with your dog. Exactly. exactly. That's the you important know? part. They're such a joy. They are such a joy. Go have fun. Absolutely. Well Abigail, said. this was fun. Jean, it was fun seeing you today. You too, Karen. I miss you. Miss you too. And listen, if uh, if you like our podcast, please leave us a nice review. 
maybe five stars, a good comment or two. Gene and I would certainly appreciate it. And check out Abigail's website and Facebook page, all in the episode note. Thanks everyone for listening. Thank you again, Abigail. And until next time, this has been the podcast, a positive conversation about dogs and the people who love them. Thanks everyone. Bye-bye.